Well, brethren, we are living in very exciting times, and I think most of you know that. And I say again, I say I really sincerely believe that we're going to live through some of the most exciting times we've ever had in the next two or three years. I don't mean it'll all be over, but I mean that will be the beginning of the end. Or as Churchill said, it might be not be the end, beginning of the end, but the end of the beginning. But however it turns out, we're going to see a lot of things happen, begin to happen just in the next very few years. Yet, brethren, at this time, we in the church of God, and I hope we really realize this, I'm not using this as just an example to be interesting or exciting, we are in a war. We are at war right now, every one of you, and this church as an institution against unseen forces. And we have to understand that. Turn with me back to Second Chronicles, if you would, in your Old Testament. The entire Bible is the inspired Word of God, and Jesus said we're to live by every Word of God, and every Word of God, as we know Paul wrote, is inspired. God breathed, it comes right out from God and reflects the mind of God. God Almighty describes back here some things we don't think about perhaps as much as we should. He describes how the king Jehoshaphat was dedicated but made an alliance with Ahab, the wicked king of Israel, and they got together and they were going to call for a prophet of God to tell them what was going to happen as they were going up to war. And they could only find one, and Ahab put him down and says, I don't like him because he hates me and always says bad things about me. But anyway, they ask him what's going to happen. And so in Second Chronicles chapter 18, verse 18, then Micaiah, God's prophet, said, Therefore hear the word of the ever-living one. I saw the eternal sitting on his throne. So here, brethren, God validates this. It's a righteous prophet. And he saw in a powerful vision from God, God sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab, king of Israel, to go up? that he may fall at Ramoth-Gilead. Apparently, God planned to have him be killed at that point. He was a wicked, very wicked king. And one spoke in this manner and another in that manner. Then a spirit came forward, part of the spirit world, the unseen world that we are having to deal with, whether we realize it or not. A spirit came forward and stood before the eternal and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said, in what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit. So this obviously was a demon. God's righteous angels would not do that. I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the eternal said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Now, therefore, look, the eternal has put a lying spirit. Micaiah, the prophet said, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these prophets of yours. And the eternal has declared disaster against you. But what caused him to say that? What caused him to say it was a vision of the spirit world. There was a conference in heaven, and God was talking, and some of these angels were talking, and there is a spirit world out there that, brethren, that is a very real world that we need to be more aware of and realize what we need to do about it. Back in Daniel chapter 10, if you would turn to Daniel chapter 10, you'll realize more of this here, as I've given this example before, but it's very interesting and very important. 
Daniel 10, verse 1, describes the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. A message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. The message was true, and the appointed time was long. So apparently because of that, Daniel apparently was fasting or partially fasting and seeking God. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, <coughs> nor meat, nor wine came into my mouth. Nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. He ate virtually nothing for three weeks. And then on the 21st day, he sees this vision of this great being by the river Tigris. And his appearance, his face and appearance, verse 6, was like lightning. His eyes were torches of fire. And he describes him. And then he was wondering what was going on. He fell asleep on his face, a kind of a trance he was in, almost scared and retained no strength. And verse 10, then suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, this powerful being who had a great powerful voice, he said, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. Someone out of the spirit world was sent to talk to Daniel while his nation was in a terrible situation in captivity and things were going wrong and he was crying out to God to understand. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand, notice this, Daniel began to pray and fast and seek God you read that back in chapter 9, the first few verses. Daniel was praying. Daniel was fasting. Daniel was seeking God. From the very first you begin to do that and to understand and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia, who's that? He wasn't talking about the regular human king, as it's obvious, a spirit being is prince over many or probably every nation on this earth has a spirit being in charge. And normally that spirit being in our society is a demon. It's not a prince of God because this is not God's world. This is Satan's world. So the prince of the power of Persia came and withstood me 21 days. He was fighting who? He was fighting this great super archangel Gabriel and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. So Michael, you know, was one of the special cherubim, uh, along with Gabriel, who was one around God's throne. And one of the three, Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer, were the three great ones until Lucifer fell away. For I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to you and to your people in the latter days. He goes on after this in chapter 11. He gives this great, big, huge prophecy going through chapter 11 and 12 and 13 that takes us right up to the kingdom of God, to the very end of this age. And so he says the vision refers to many days yet to come. So God gave him this prophecy. Then it happened again. Verse 20, he said, I do you know why I've come to you, and now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia, and when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece. So another fallen angel will come, the prince of Greece, watching over Greece, that pagan nation. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. 
So Michael, an archangel, was helping. And here behind the scenes, when these things happen, often is a spirit war. Why did the situation turn out at the Battle of Stalingrad? If the Russians had quickly lost that, Hitler may have come around and conquered England. And then he'd come over here and conquered us. How come the British talk even to this day, at least the last few years I've talked to people, I've told you about the old guy I talked to many years ago with tears in his eyes. He called it the miracle of the calm seas, the miracle of Dunkirk. They'd never seen that channel so calm like a bathtub. No waves, no problem, and all these little boats. They said Winston needs boats. And everybody that had a yacht or a boat or anything went over there and picked up about 340,000 of the crack troops of Churchill's army. Otherwise, they would have been a sitting duck for Hitler to come over, take over. Then he'd have been over here. How come all those things happened? Behind the scenes, there must have been a spirit war. And the great God of Israel, the Lord God of the armies of Israel, and the God of this church, the church of God, is guiding those events. And the spirit world is raging against God as best they can. And they're raging against God's church. And they're raging against you. And you are going to be affected more of that in the next several years than most of you begin to realize. I want to warn you about that and help you, help you be ready to face that because undoubtedly that is what is going to happen. So we need to understand that there is this spirit world out there and these things are happening. Satan's desire is to destroy humanity. That's one reason Satan guides the churches of this world and so many of the politicians, virtually all of them, they're all behind abortion. Why would they want to kill tens of millions of little babies? It begins to wipe out those who would replace Satan and his demons. Satan is the destroyer. Satan is behind these things that would destroy all humanity, all kinds of things like that. And so we need to understand the mind of Satan. He is the destroyer. He is a murderer. He is a liar and the father of lies, Jesus said in John 8, 44. He's behind all these things. And so we need to understand that he's after us because we in the church of God are the advance guard of a coming government that is going to replace Satan and his government. We're the advance guard of that government. He knows that and he hates that. And he's going to try to wipe us out if he can. And he will come after you. Mr. Cologne's fine sermonette helped hopefully inspire you to go all out to seek God and get God's help when you're tempted and when you have trials. You've got to do that in this battle. We are in a battle against Satan the devil, and we've got to realize that and know how to overcome. He would love to get all of us in his camp. He would love to get all of us to compromise. So let's understand. Let's turn now, if you would, to Ephesians chapter uh, 2, if you would. Ephesians, in your New Testament, of course, chapter 2. And I'm going to begin reading something that's familiar, but we need to think and meditate on it a little bit once in a while. Paul writes... In verse 1, Ephesians 2, verse 1, to the Christians at Ephesus, and you he made alive through baptism, of course, and forgiveness of sins, who were dead, spiritually dead, in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. We have all walked according to Satan's desires. I have, you have. 
And let's not kid ourselves about it unless there is an angel unawares in here. In that case, I'm unawares of it. <laughs> I'm kidding. But most of us are very human. And we've been guided and influenced more than we realize by Satan the devil. The course of this world, the prince of the power of this earth's atmosphere, he's the one who broadcasts. As Mr. Armstrong used to say, Satan broadcasts wrong attitudes, antagonism, hate, lust, vanity, jealousy, lust, and greed. He pumps out, pumps out that attitude throughout this world. I often call it myself SBS because we have CBS broadcasting. This is Satan's broadcasting system, SBS. And that's what he has, pumping out these wrong attitudes and these wrong ideas. The spirit... There is a spirit world. He's the spirit who now works. He's very busy. And remember, brethren, Satan never gives up. Satan never gets tired. He's a spirit, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So we have to realize the power behind the scenes, an unseen power in an unseen world. And yet we've got to realize how real it is. Let's turn now back to chapter 6, if you would. Turn to Ephesians 6. He's been talking about overcoming and growing, honoring your parents, honoring your bosses, loving one another. He says in verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, not your might. That's one thing you've got to understand. If you try to wrestle Satan with your might, you're going to lose. You've got to have the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the stratagems, the cunning tricks of Satan the devil. He is very clever. He'll come at you one time, one direction, then another time he'll come another direction. He came at the church of God from the inside quite a number of times back in the early days that I've described some of those people trying to overthrow Mr. Armstrong back in the 1950s and the 1960s. Finally, in 1960. 1979, the whole state of California came at us. He caused the outside world to attack us through the state and tried to overthrow. And I came into my office one day on the fourth floor of the administration building, and there's this armed guard with a pistol breaking into the offices of God's church. That when Mr. Wayne Pyle became kind of a local hero. Most of you have heard that. They were trying to get in the executive suite where Mr. Armstrong, I guess, wasn't, but they thought he might be. And Wayne literally blocked him off and locked the door, and he could have got shot, but he wouldn't let him in. I don't, I don't remember how it finally worked out. I think some of the ministers and people said, let him in. They're, they're the law. But Wayne blocked him off, and he had a lot of courage at that time. But they were breaking in and trying to take over the work of God. And then people were instructed to send their money, not to Pasadena anymore, but to Mr. Armstrong's address in Tucson. And they did, and the work did carry on, and God rescued us from that. He has rescued us again and again and again from all kinds of trials. But Satan the devil is often behind these things and causing these things to happen. So we've got to beware of the wiles of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. No, we're not just fighting human beings, but against principalities, powerful beings with great offices, perhaps many demons under their control against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, a whole spirit world out there. 
And there are, as you may know, millions of them. If you turn, brethren, to, uh, I'll have it kind of written, uh, Revelation 5, Revelation 5, verses 11, you will see there that there are a hundred million angels around God's throne. You add the numbers up and there are tens of millions of, of angels, at least, just right there, plus all the others. So you figure if Satan took one-third of the angels, he must have taken millions of them to become demons. This is very real. We need to understand the power we're fighting and yet not be afraid. I've seen God deliver the work. I've seen God deliver me. I've seen God deliver Mr. Armstrong again and again and again. He always does. But we've got to do our part and fight the good fight of faith. We've got to be spiritual warriors. We've got to realize it's not just some little game we're in. We are at war against very powerful beings who will try to discourage us. They'll try to impute evil to the leaders. They'll try to impute evil toward God himself, that God is not fair. They'll try to impute evil to God's ministers, to God's church, to God's work. They're very clever at that, putting a little twist on things and twisting people's minds around so that these little things become big things in their minds and turn them against God himself. Don't let that happen to you. You say, well, you make mistakes. Well, my wife can write a whole book about all my mistakes. That doesn't make any difference. What if I make mistakes? If I turn aside and preach terrible things or become a big whoremonger or murderer, that's different. But that's not going to happen. I'll just tell you that. I, I've been at it now for 60 years, so I'm quite sure that's not going to happen based on my own past. But I still will make human mistakes. I will have vanity, jealousy, lust, and greed, and so will you. That does not do away with the fact that there is a God he has a church, he has a law, he has a way of life, and he does turn away from where he is working. We're in trouble. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. That's the one who's in trouble, and Satan is the ultimate one behind all that. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil dead, having done all to stand. And brethren, he talks about the evil day. And that's the time I'm referring to. That day is just ahead. I think it's going to be another three to six years before it gets going full time. I don't know that. But I think that's probably going to start to go big time. When will the heavenly war begin? That's described in Revelation 12. We don't know that. But it may well begin in the next several years. And then other things are going to start to happen very rapidly. It might be eight to 12 more years but it's certainly going to be the, in the lifetime of you younger people unless you get killed prematurely. You're going to live through the evil time. And you're going to have trials and tests that some of these older folks, maybe even Mo, me, won't have to face. If we go on to rest with our fathers, when the servants of God died, they were gathered to their people. And they didn't have to face some of those things that were to come later. So in one sense, that's mercy. All we, we'd all like to live on. I'd like to fight that fight of faith. But it's not necessarily my will. It's God's will. So we've got to be sure what we're willing to do, what God says, and put our faith and trust in Him and see the big picture. Always. We're fighting a spiritual war. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. That's the main thing. Why did you come into this church? Did you come in the church because of Mr. Armstrong's great voice or personality? You certainly didn't come in living because of my great voice and personality. I know that. Most of you came in the church because of one thing, the truth, the truth. 
the truth. Where is the truth? If you prove to yourself there is a real God, this book is inspired by that God, then you'll see that this church is not perfect, but we're preaching more of that truth, the government of God, which is one of the most important things to have straight, because that pictures the very kingdom of God we're going to be part of in the next several years. How can you rule in a few years in a kind of government that you've rejected all of your life and had kind of voting and politicking? It doesn't make sense. Most of you have figured that out. But at any rate, you are here because of the truth. Don't ever forget that. As long as the truth is being preached and the work is being done, not perfectly. You say it should be done perfectly. Well, you say if Jesus were here, everybody would be converted. I know you know the answer. No, they wouldn't. They'd kill him. That's what they did when he came the first time. They wiped him out. They wouldn't all be converted. Was everybody converted when Peter came along? No, he was eventually martyred. Did everyone get converted when the great apostle Paul came along? No. Near the end of his life, he said, I fought the good fight of faith. I'm going out. I finished my course. And apparently one cold morning, at the end of all that work and all that suffering and all that going to jail and being beaten and shipwrecked and everything else, was he raptured off to heaven? No, he apparently went out, laid his head down on a chopping block, and that was it. And his spirit went to God, and as he lay down, or whatever form of death he must have thought, and looked up to God briefly, and his literally in his eyes, if he could, and his mind said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. I've walked with you all these years, and I'm going to keep on walking with you. And he will. He will in the resurrection. So you put your faith and trust in that very, very real God. So gird your waist. Why your waist? Because around your abdomen and your lower parts, that's where many of your lusts reside. The lust for sex, the lust for liquor, and eating too much, as many, most Americans do, in fact, eat too much, and other kinds of lust. So that's one reason he puts it in that way. You have your lust guided by the truth, because sex is not evil, but you're to use it the way God instructs. Not the wrong way. You're to eat, but the way God instructs. You can drink wine, but the way God instructs, not by getting drunk. Your waist is girded by the truth. Having put on the breastplate, that's where your heart is, your basic attitude of righteousness. What is righteousness? Psalm 172. All thy commandments are righteousness. So our heart is going that direction. Having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We're busy carrying the gospel of the kingdom of God all over the world. We're going that direction. That's what we do. Above all, it's interesting how he words it this way, brethren. We know above all we're to have love. There's faith, hope, and love. The greatest is love, Paul said in another way. But in this context, a different context, he says, most of all, have faith. Because when you're being come at by the devil... You want to have love, but you, you don't necessarily love the devil. <laughs> and you have to have faith that God is there. He's going to back you up if you follow me. You've got to walk by faith through the dark ages, the dark days ahead. So you've got to have the shield of faith. That shield's out here. Satan's going to throw all these dark, poison darts at you to try to say, Well, you know, Dr. Winnell made a mistake, or Mr. Ames made a mistake, or, or Mr. Uh, uh, Wakefield made a mistake. Or I made a mistake or something. Yes. Is that going to turn you aside? Better not. I hope you can figure it out. 
But he'll put all these darts, all kinds of other darts to try to upset you and overthrow. You've got to have faith to overcome those wicked darts, the poison darts of the wicked one, Satan the devil, part of the unseen force. And take the helmet of salvation. A helmet guards your mind. In your mind, you've got to have the Spirit of God, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, the active sword, which is this book, which is the Word of God. Your only active weapon that you fight with is to know the Bible. That's why I say saturate your mind with the Bible, for you can, Jesus was told by Satan, cast yourself down off the pinnacle. God will take care of you. And Satan, Jesus came right back with the right answer. He knew the mind of God. He knew the Bible, of course. And he said, God has said you're not to attempt God. You're not to put God to an unnecessary test. Some people say, I'm going to see if God will protect me from poison snakes. So I'll handle rattlesnakes. No, God says, don't do that. So you've got to use your mind and you've got to let the Bible be the offensive weapon you have. And when Satan and his minions come along with wrong ideas, you've got to be able, as best you can, to come back at them with one thing. What? The truth. The truth, which is the Word of God. So the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always. And all of you know this, but be sure you understand it in this context. If you quit praying even for one day, even for one day, Satan may try to get you with double power, in that one day, he knows you didn't pray that day. I remember David John Hill, our one evangelist, a very colorful person, used to give the example. He says, if I go out of the house in the morning without praying, he says, I've got to think I'm going out there completely undressed. I'm going out naked. <laughs> do you want to walk out naked? Oh, no, you would never do that, you say. Well, you're going out naked spiritually if you haven't prayed. Pray to God First thing in the morning, even if it's a short prayer, pray to God. Don't let the day start along very far before you have prayed. One thing I do, and I'm not perfect in any of this, believe me, very imperfect, but I sometimes have started praying recently, the last few years, in my mind, I'll pray right in the bed just before I get out of bed. I mean, just like one or two minutes, you know, and ask God to give me strength and help me not to fall and guide me and help me and use me that day. Then I'll shave and get awake, throwing cold water on my face and shaving and combing my hair. Then I'm awake. Then I can go in in my prayer pants, as I call them, old pair of khaki pants and my robe, and I'll pray then before anything else. I'll pray before I eat. I'll pray before I start to read the paper or anything else like that, before anything else and get my mind going down the wrong track. Pray to God. Praying always, God says, with all prayer and supplications. Supplications means continual, continual prayer and crying out. To this end, with all perseverance, don't give up and quit. And supplication for all the saints. And pray for me, Paul wrote, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Paul reminds them once in a while, I'm in chains he was a civil prisoner. Remember my chains, he said on a number of occasions. But pray that God will open a door. Pray, brethren, regularly that God will open even bigger doors for us. Mr. Ames and I approved going on a good station. I hope it turns out to be good. We're sure it will. In Washington, D.C., we're finally going to get a direct station right in front of the 
Congress and the leaders of the United States, <laughs> whether they like it or not. They won't all hear it, of course. We know that. Most of them won't. But they may have friends or relatives. So we're going to go directly into Washington for the first time in that way. Plus, of course, they can hear it over WGN, some of them in the Word Network and other outlets. But we're having more and more doors open, and God is blessing us. Where we've been able to go through quite a number of new doors recently in Beaumont, Texas, Houston, Texas, Denver, Colorado, and now Washington, D.C. So pray that God will open these doors so we can proclaim the gospel uh, to this world and this nation far more powerfully. And we're to pray that regularly, and that will help overcome Satan. Of course, as more of the truth is disseminated. So let's pray that God will help us use this spiritual armor. It is very important. Turn now, brethren, to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, if you would. And let's begin reading in verse 1. Revelation 12. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of stars. Now, most of you older brethren know what that's talking about. That, of course, is talking about ancient Israel. And, of course, when our father uh, Joseph had that vision, why he, has, he had this vision, you know, like a father and mother and garden and 12 stars were the 12 uh, nations of Israel. And the woman here pictures the true church of God. It's a symbol of the church all the way through the Bible. So here's the true church, but the Old Testament church, the congregation of Israel, bringing forth the Messiah. Then being with child, she, ancient Israel, brought cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. So here's another great sign. These spirit things are happening and have happened down through the ages. Behold, a great fiery red dragon. We know what that means, Satan the devil. Having seven heads and ten horns. And of course, he's the one that guides and oversees this coming Beast power, as it's come down to us through the Roman Empire. His tail drew or had drawn a third. Notice that one third of the stars of heaven. And stars are identified back in chapter 1, I think it is, of Revelation, as you know, as angels. One third were taken by Lucifer, a falling star himself, in rebellion against God. That shows how powerful Lucifer is. And another thing I won't be returning to here today, but I've mentioned so often, and we didn't used to teach that. Near the end of his life, Mr. Armstrong mentioned it. It hit me, so I've been teaching it more regularly. You turn to Revelation chapter 20, and after the millennium, it shows how the whole world's at peace during the millennium, and they have the truth and the saints of God ruling with Christ for 1,000 years. You think, wow, everything's finished. A thousand years of God's reign. How could anything upset that? Satan could. Immediately, Satan is loosed out of the bottomless pit and is absolutely astonishing how quickly, apparently, in a matter of months, it doesn't indicate it's years or centuries at all, he turns aside a great mass of hordes of armies coming down to fight against Christ at Jerusalem. And Christ destroys them, of course, but it's one last lesson to the spirit world in case any of God's faithful angels get a not wrong idea, I'm sure that's part of it, and even God's people and anyone else as a witness, one last time Satan is allowed to turn and wow how human beings give way so quickly, you'd think that would be impossible after a thousand years of Christ's reign. No, 
Human nature is literally saturated with vanity. I want my way and I'm important and here I want what I want and I want it now. Jealousy, we get upset at others and bitter. Lust, we lust after all those of the opposite sex that are not our mates. We lust after money. We lust after power. We lust after all kinds of things. And greed, we want more and more. We're not satisfied. Vanity, jealousy, lust, and greed. And Satan knows that, and he gets at that and gets at that continually. So we have to understand he's very clever at that. He's able to overthrow human beings very quickly, which he does even after the millennium. Read it in Revelation 20. And the dragon stood before the woman, the church, ancient Israel, ready to give birth, to devour her child as soon as was born. Remember, Herod tried to have all the little boys killed, and they were killed. Apparently hundreds or thousands of them in that area. And he tried other times to kill Christ. And she bore a male child, Christ, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God into his throne. So it's coming down through time here, apparently for thousands and thousands of years at a time. Then it comes to the birth of Christ, then the end of Christ's human life. And then, of course, Christ's ascension into heaven. Jumps ahead real quick, 33 years. So the prophecy moves ahead very swiftly. Then notice verse 7. Then. And then, of course, this is after Christ has ascended to heaven. This then is in the dark ages here. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared for God. The Roman armies under the Caesars were beginning to crush the true saints of God. And she's not taken to heaven in a rapture. She's taken to a place on this earth that they should feed her there a 1,260 days. And then at the end of the age, something else happens. Now another war, a war broke out in heaven. Now it jumps to our time in the next five or 15 years just ahead of us. A war will break out in heaven. Michael and his angels, the righteous angels, fought. They will fight against the dragon, the Satan. And Satan and his angels fought, but they did not prevail nor was place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon, Satan the devil, was cast out. Christ will win the war. No question about that. But Satan doesn't fully believe that because he doesn't believe the Bible anyway. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. We use that so often. I know we can be bored with it, but let's not. That's powerful. There's no one on the earth that's not been deceived at one time or the other except Jesus Christ. He deceives the whole world. And he was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So this coming war will come pretty soon now in the next five or ten years. A war, a spirit war. Brethren, you say, I know one of our Church of God splits, a guy that's proclaimed himself a prophet, and then later an apostle. I don't know what he'll proclaim himself to be next, but he's going up pretty, going up the elevator pretty fast. But anyway, he said that war has already taken place. Well, I just tell you, according to the authority of the Bible, it has not taken place. When it takes place, all kinds of strange things are going to happen all over the world, and you're going to find people being slaughtered and murdered and weird, odd things happening more than they have ever happened remotely. And of course, he said that about 10 years ago. And the world is bad, but it's not that bad at all. So the war is just ahead. It has not taken place yet. When it happens, you're going to see strange, perverted things happening. And you're going to see people in Europe and some of the leaders in Europe who are good and decent people now. They really are. 
you're going to see them suddenly have that look in their eyes like Hitler, and they're going to go for it. And you'll see a different spirit all of a sudden, a clever, diabolical spirit, and they're going to come after us, guided by Satan, and want to destroy God's heritage, the people of Israel. And God will allow Satan to stir them up to do that. The war has not taken place. But when it does, watch out. So Satan the devil is going to be coming back and stirring up another war in the next several years. And so the accuser of our brethren is cast down. He's going to be cast down from heaven one last time as he fights God, who accused them before our God day and night. Now, brethren, Satan is called here the accuser. He constantly accuses. He will cause you to accuse one another. He will cause you to accuse the ministry of God. He will cause you to accuse God himself. Maybe not directly, but I don't think God's fair. God's not fair. or This teaching of God is not right, and so on. Don't do that. Don't get caught up in that. And if you think God is not fair, or some teaching of the church is not fair, come and talk to us openly, lovingly about it. Some of these groups have dictators over them, and they kick people out for asking questions. We don't do that. I promise we don't do that. And if anyone ever has that happen, you come to me, and I'll deal with it. But we don't do that. I've never done that. We want your questions. We want you to understand there is a reason behind what we do. You know, some of you might say, well, second tithe, I can't afford that. Well, you can because you're spending that tithe on something that's going to help you. You don't give that tithe to the church, and yes, you have a great excess tithe, but that tithe, part of it can be used during the days of unleavened bread. When you count travel time, it could be used for eight or nine days. It's for Pentecost weekend and the whole Feast of Tabernacles trip in that period. And when you're adding all that time up, you come up with, of course, a few weeks. It's not quite one-tenth of the year, but you're spending more during that period of time, and normally you would spend more if you're going on a nice vacation anyway, and the feasts are not vacations, so I don't want to use that in the wrong way. The feasts are not just vacations, they're to worship God. But if you think about the whole thing, it's not unreasonable, and God will bless you. That's the point. You have to have faith. He will guide it to work for good. He will guide it to work for good. Now, I don't know anyone that's upset about the second time. I'm just using that as an example. People find something, they think, oh, this is not fair. So I'm just not going to do this or do that. Some of you think you can't afford to tithe. Well, Mr. Armstrong wrote the book, or the big article, I should say, years ago in The Plain Truth about the man who could not afford to tithe. And it was a wonderful article showing how this man finally decided to give God a real honest test for a year or two, and then God blessed him in so many ways. It was amazing. You can't afford not to tithe. How can you tithe? You say, it doesn't add up. No, I know that. It does not add up for some of you. Keeping the Sabbath does not add up for many of our brethren. Some have said, I'll lose my job. That doesn't make sense. But you lose your job sometimes. And if you lose your job, then in most cases, God gives you a better job or an equally good job later. You have to, If you leave God out of the picture, you can't keep the Sabbath. If you leave God out of the picture, you can't tithe. If you leave God out of the picture, all kinds of things can happen in your life, and you will begin to reason yourself around the law of God, the way of God, and think God is not fair. God is fair. He will cause His way to work for good. And if you prove that to yourself, if you love God with all your heart and strength and mind, and say, God, my life is not my life, it's your life. My time is not my time, it is your time. 
And if you really believe that, my money is not my money, it's your money. That doesn't mean you send it all to the work. We've never asked that. We're just saying you should give a tithe and generous offerings as you're able. If you're not able, you can't give generous offerings. You'll give smaller offerings. But all of you can afford to tithe. So have faith in God. Satan will begin to cause you to doubt this and doubt that every way down the line. He accuses the brethren and accuses God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Some apparently during this timing war from Satan are going to be martyred. And they'll be glad to die just, just to get rid of the pain. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe that heavens and the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. At that time, it's very short till Christ's feet will be on this earth, and Satan will be gone, and Satan will be in the bottomless pit. Now when the dragon, the devil, saw that he'd been cast down, he persecuted the woman. This now becomes the New Testament church of God. This is going to happen. You're going to have to have faith and love and perseverance to trust God to fight the spiritual battle for you because Satan and his demons are going to come after you and they will use human instruments to come after you as well. So he's going to persecute the woman who gave birth to Christ. But the woman, the church, was given two wings of a great eagle. She's not going to be jerked off to heaven in a rapture. It never says that. The rapture is totally unbiblical in every way. But she goes to her place in the wilderness. God's throne is described as a magnificent place, having a sea of glass and all those things. It's not a wilderness, but God's true church is taken to a place in the wilderness where she is nourished and taken care of by God. You say, how could we live if we went to Petra? Well, we don't know it's Petra, but if we did go somewhere like that, we would starve to death. I know that. I figured that out long ago. Except for one thing, God. (laughs) You you leave God out of things, nothing makes sense. Nothing makes sense. You'll all die anyway. You won't have any eternal life. So why, you know what I mean, unless there's a real God, then if you prove the real God is the God of the Bible and believe the Bible, then everything starts to make sense. Of course, God has to take care of you. Of course, he will take care of you in the place of safety. You will have been the ones who've already put your faith and trust in God, and you will have shown God by your actions that you do trust him. That's why you're there in the first place. So she will be nourished by God. So the devil, then the serpent, spewed water out of his mouth. If you check back in, if you want to write these scriptures down, brethren, if you take some notes on this, some of you wonder about the flood. The flood is apparently a flood of armies. And it's described that way in Jeremiah 46, Jeremiah 46, verse 7. Another scripture is Daniel 9, Daniel 9, chapter 26. And another reference to indicate that, that an army is sometimes described as a flood, is Isaiah, Isaiah 59, verse 19. So this is apparently what it's talking about. Satan uses the powers of the Roman Empire to cause a virtual flood of armies to come after his people in the place of safety. But the earth supernaturally swallows them up. Without that, they'd win. But with God on our side, we win. We always win. There's no question about it. We are winners if we walk with God. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went out to make war with the rest of her offspring. 
Now, the ones, as we know, brethren, who are watching and praying and walking with God, they are going to be taken to a place of safety. Who are the rest? Those are people who are in God's church. They mean well, and they're described in Revelation 3, you know, as the Laodiceans. God does not say they've got all kinds of false doctrines. He only condemns them for one thing. They have other things, too. They water things down, but it's not terrible things. One word, lukewarm. They have most of the truth, but they don't have the zeal to keep all the truth all the time and do the work with passion. That's the big problem. God wants us to love him with all our heart, all our strength, and all our soul, and not water it down. So the rest of the people who have not been willing to do that are then the offspring of the... He uh, went to war with the rest of her offspring of the church who keep the commandments. Are they evil? No, they do keep the commandments overall of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. But they have not had the total commitment and zeal to fully walk with God. And God knows in his love, he's not against them. He wants them there, but he cannot give you or me eternal life unless he knows and knows that he knows that we are totally committed, not partly committed, totally committed to his way. And we're not going to compromise. We're not going to get our feelings hurt. We're not going to water things down. If we get out on Alpha Centauri or Pluto or some other planet, does he want us to kind of, well, I don't know, I'm way out here, I'll just change this or change that. No, he doesn't want that. He wants us to be totally submissive to him and to his government. And I'll mention government here. We need a sermon on government once in a while and haven't had one for a long time. But brethren, God's church has a human government. And Christ is the living head of that government. You find back in Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 20 to 22. Christ is the living head, not the dead head, the active head. But whether I live or die... We have other very loyal, dedicated men like Mr. Richard Ames and others who would carry on and follow the truth. And as long as we follow the truth, not perfectly, you are commanded by God himself to follow that government. And I put in that one caveat, as long as we follow the truth. Because Mr. Armstrong, near the end of his life, said, whoever's in that office, or I'm putting so-and-so there, you follow him. And a lot of people, they, they didn't realize Mr. Armstrong virtually always qualified that. I heard him do it dozens or hundreds of times. I could say dozens and scores. But this time he didn't somehow. But I am, and we should. Don't follow whoever comes along, whatever they do. And Mr. Ames would want me to say otherwise. I know him very well. But if someone comes in and changes and says, well, let's give up on God's law and let's keep Sunday instead of the Sabbath and get back to mainstream Christianity and blah, 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 all anything like that. No, you look around where Christ will raise up something else. Some people say, I didn't know where to go after a worldwide came apart. Well, I didn't either. And I prayed and fasted more during that time than almost any time in years. And my wife knows I even listened to again, to garner Ted on his program and read some of his stuff, although I knew about him, but just come from Big Sandy. And then I heard this other guy, and Cheryl said, why are you listening to him? He was your former student. I said, I know if God is using someone else, I will follow him if I see God is using him. I could see there wasn't anyone else. There was not anyone else who was really doing it at all. And I was the only older evangelist who was willing to do it at that time, and I had to do it. I could not live with myself if I did not do it. 
I'd have been letting these bad guys, these jokers, take over everything that Christ had built through Mr. Armstrong and Dr. Hay and me and others who helped him build this work. They were going to trash it, throw it in the ash can. I could not stand it. And I remember reading Jeremiah 20, and uh, I better not turn there, but you go back and read it. He says, the word was burned in my heart, and I had to preach it, as Jeremiah was saying. I read that chapter a number of times then. I read what Mr. Armstrong had done when he evil men turned aside during the Sardis church. So within a very short time, when you think about it from God's point of view, once that booklet came out on God is that very pagan book, the worst one they'd written, within three or four months, we raised up the global church of God. Joseph had to wait 13 years for God to deliver him from prison and so on. You who are out there and others who hear this, you only had to wait three or four months and suddenly we were on KIEV Glendale, one of the stations Mr. Armstrong used. We were on WOI, a big 50,000-watt clear-cut radio station, clear channel Mr. Armstrong used. And there was a radio program going out, a big station in Little Rock and more as we went on. And after a couple of years, we went on television. And after a couple more years, Mr. Ames came with us, and he then went on to join me on television, and the work began to grow big at that time. Not big, but bigger, and we carried on. We carried on. Christ will not tempt you beyond your ability, but you follow the truth. Don't follow people who water things down. I don't mean some little tiny thing, you know, but I'm talking about major truths that the worldwide turned aside on, and which is terrible. So Satan would love to get all of you to compromise. Turn them out of Genesis here to understand a little bit more of what God reveals about Satan and how he works. Here is more about how Satan works in this spirit world that he's in charge of. Turn back to Genesis, brethren, and I'm going to begin reading here, as you would imagine, in chapter 3. Genesis 3 now, the serpent, a symbol of the devil, of course, was more cunning. He's very cunning. It doesn't say he's wise, but he's clever. He has evil twists he put on things and perverts people's minds, and he plays dirty tricks. He's the master of the dirty trick department, you might say. More cunning than any beast of the field which the eternal God had made. And he said to the woman, And God has said, Indeed, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees, but of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. She knew what God said. She quoted it right back to Satan the devil. He said, If you eat this, this one tree. But then Satan begins to reason with her. Well, you know, take it easy and don't get uptight. Let's not be uptight about anything. God wouldn't worry if you don't tithe. God wouldn't worry if you kept Sunday instead of the Sabbath. Just a different day. Every day is the same. Blah, 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 blah. Satan got to reasoning with her. And I don't want to hurt your women's feelings, but most of you know this. I've had many Christian women tell me women are more susceptible to being deceived. I know my older son, Mike, has been a very successful salesman and now even beyond that is a vice president of his company. But he told me two or three different sales managers when they were out selling dictionaries or this various things door-to-door, door, 
they said, if a man comes to the door, unless he immediately agrees with you, then go get out of there, go on, you're just wasting your time. But if a woman comes to the door, then talk to her and talk to her, you'll probably have a better chance. Because a woman is made by God to be more, you know, receptive, more responsive. And that's wonderful. She can be responsive to her husband. She can be responsive to her children. And God has made her to want to agree and to go along more easily. That's not some insult. It just means that you ladies have to realize as a spiritual matter, you are responsible to God. You are not just responsible to your husband alone. You're to honor him. But you certainly should follow him if he's following God and have more humility to realize God did make him the head if he's in God's church and have more humility and realize you could be deceived a little bit more quickly. My wife, as she's gotten really even closer to God and grown so much during this trial that she has had, as I've had to grow so much during the trial I have had for four years, studying and studying and asking God to give me deeper understanding, She's been very forthright to realize that we've got to understand those differences, that God made us that way. So don't let yourself be misled. Don't get your feelings hurt. Don't let your family drag you off. Don't let your social friends drag you off here or there because of things like that. Mr. Carl McNair, before he died, told me three or four times about some who ended up in these other groups of the church of God. He named their names, which I won't know, but he knew some of them really well. He trained them. He said their wives would not come with us. They didn't want anything strong or strict, so they just drifted that way. And every time their husbands followed them. Why? Because that's what Adam did. <laughs> See, the man can be weak too. Here's his beautiful wife. said, well, honey, and let's go over here. So he follows her over here. But, or over there, I should say. <laughs> he follows her over there somewhere. So you have to think. Live by every word of God. Don't follow your wife, you men, unless she's really with God. And don't follow your husband unless he's with God. But he, if he, even if he's not perfect in it, you wives honor that God works through the man and made him the head of the family for that reason. Satan knew what to do. He got at the woman. And so the woman saw the tree was good for food that was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise. It looked all pretty and attractive. So she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. So she gave it to him. Well, honey, it's it's okay. And so, well, okay. And so he ate too, and the eyes were opened. They realized things they shouldn't have been thinking about. They rebelled against God. And so they were driven from the Garden of Eden. Our first parents were overcome by that kind of reasoning. And, you know, you've heard your older brethren, Mr. Armstrong, explain it. You can see that Satan has said, well, he said, uh, she said, God said, don't you eat of this one tree or touch it. And Satan said, you're not going to die. Don't you understand, you know, Eve, God's too strict. He's overdoing it here. You're not really going to die. And this tree is beautiful and the fruit looks pretty and you'll know all kinds of things and you'll be so happy. And, oh, well, okay, great salesman, I'll just listen to you. And so she did. She listened to him, and the human race got off the track back then. Don't let your mind get off the track in that way. Satan appeared to make God, or tried to make God appear, unfair at the very beginning. How come God won't give you that tree? He's holding back something, and the day you eat that tree, you'll be as smart as God is. You see, God's unfair. No, God is not unfair. 
God wants you to be as smart as he is in a general sense. God wants you to be great and powerful and wonderful, but he doesn't want to give you that kind of power unless he knows you are ready and that you are deeply converted and conquered by God and have God's Holy Spirit living in you. Then you can use a glorified spirit body throughout all eternity in the right way. But until that time, God is not going to give you that kind of power. That would be like a father or mother in a family giving their 11-year-old boy the keys to the car and say, well, have a good time. Go driving down the street here in Charlotte somewhere. Well, the little boy, not even big enough to see over the wheel of the car, maybe. He's a silly little boy. He doesn't begin to understand the danger that's involved. It's really sad to read about these little boys that get in troubles like that. You know, they'll do crazy things, and they're just made to be energetic little boys, but they're not ready to be given that kind of power. And we as human beings are not ready to be given that kind of power. We're wonderful little children of God, but we're not ready to be made spirit beings until we have overcome and grown and God guides our lives and we have been tested and tried and are ready. And God is not unfair. God is not unfair in withholding sex from people until they're married. If they go out the other way, they have all kinds of problems. They're greatly disillusioned. Some of them begin to commit suicide because they feel guilty. It wasn't really wonderful like they thought it would be. They get the neural disease. They get pregnant. And then the whole society begins to be like that. You begin to think about the ultimate wave of trouble it creates. What about a man who commits adultery? Well, he's just having fun with a woman next door. No, he's not. That will be found out in every every case. Then the children find out. The wife finds out. Her husband finds out. The relatives find out. God gave that law for a reason. Others get careless and get venereal disease. I told you about Hoppy, my friend that I grew up with. There was Jaime and Hoppy. (laughs) I won't give their last name. But they were part of my gang of 25 guys that I grew up with. And I liked them. I loved them. Hoppy was blind. I've told you the story about how I came and his, his father was a very successful lawyer. And had a big, beautiful house up right up near Aunt Kay's. I think my sister Catherine maybe has been there, but she knows where that is. And I came in one summer evening. And, of course, they were used to the boys wandering here and there. And they didn't have the doors locked. And I just wandered in the family room or the actually kind of a veranda porch thing. And I saw Hoppy in there playing Moonlight Sonata. I just tell I got emotional. He was looking at the moon. While he played Moonlight Sonata beautifully, but he couldn't see the moon, couldn't see anything. Why? Because his father had free sex. It was not free to hoppy. It was not free to hoppy. My own mother told me about it. It was widely known. His father had been with prostitutes, got venereal disease, and hoppy was born blind. Who paid The father probably paid in many ways too, but Hoppy paid. It was not free to Hoppy. You do not bless yourself by disobeying God. And so you must understand that. Don't follow Satan's reasonings. He's very clever. He makes right appear wrong and wrong appear right. Don't let yourself ever, ever fall for that. He will offer short-term happiness sometimes. Have sex right now. Don't wait till you're married. Get even with your enemy right now. Don't trust God. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, God says. I've had to learn that. 
And I have basically learned that rather than sitting around hating people or worrying about it. I've had many people through the years stab me in the back, and I've told you some about it. And many things happen to them that's not good at all. But God took care of it in his time, and he always will. God focuses, or Satan focuses people on the self. Think about this, brethren, as I'm speaking. When you get your mind on self, 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 what I want, my feelings are hurt. Here's what I want. I want it right now. Often that will be aggravated by Satan, the devil. I remember some of the biggest trials of my Christian life have had when I was not busy enough around the students or the work and busy and I had extra time. They say an idle mind is the devil's workshop. You older brethren have all heard that saying, I guess. An idle mind is the devil's workshop. What happened to King David, the man after God's own heart? They had this one battle. David was always in battle. But this one time in the springtime when the armies went off to war, he sent Joab over to take this city and the king remained behind in Jerusalem. You all remember the story. There wasn't much going on in Jerusalem. The action was over there in this battle and David was all alone. And suddenly one probably beautiful moonlit evening, I'm making it Hollywood here, but it probably was uh, a beautiful moonlit evening. He goes out on his balcony and this beautiful, gorgeous woman just happened to be there bathing herself just below David. Now, don't think she was totally stupid. Nothing mentions that she was stupid. Her son turned out to be Solomon. She was probably pretty smart. She thought the king's up here. She was lonesome and frustrated, too. So she let him see her bathing right under his balcony where he came out. And he sensed that she was available, sent for, and you know the rest of the story. God began to take away his blessings. He never had peace. His own sons turned on him. And all kinds of things, bad things began to happen. And the son that was born from their union died, even though David prayed and fasted about it, laid flat on the ground for seven days. God took that child and God humbled David. And David deeply repented. And you read a little tiny bit of that repentance in Psalm 51. I don't want to make David brought down because God does not bring him down. He really, really repented. And you read that psalm and you read also two different places that only, get it, only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite did David ever turn aside. But why? He had too much power and he had time on his hands. And here he was alone there out on the balcony and this woman sort of offers herself to him. And so he had this terrible sin. Don't let yourself get involved where you're too alone somewhere Often traveling salesmen or men who spend too much time away from their wives get in trouble because they have too much time on their hand and it turns out bad. Keep business, serve others, have other Christians around, this kind of thing. Learn to resist Satan. Resist Satan. You're in a battle. Turn back to Hebrews now in your New Testament, brethren. Hebrews, let's turn there and I'm going to turn to uh, chapter 12. Hebrews, in your New Testament, chapter 12. I better quit telling stories here. The time will all be gone. It almost is. Paul writes, Hebrews 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us or ensnares us, traps us, 
and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So we've got to fight the good fight, never give up, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. He says, you've not yet resisted the bloodshed, striving against sin. You're fighting against sin. You're fighting the devil. And verse 5, you have forgotten the exhortation. My son, do not despise the chastening. Brethren, God will rebuke and chasten you if he is your father and if you are his son. Don't give up on that. Learn the lessons. Always think when something comes, not get mad at God. Say, what is God trying to teach me? What is God trying to teach me through this trial? Don't be discouraged if you're rebuked by him. For God, whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. He says over here in verse 14, Pursue peace with all men and holiness. Try to sincerely be like God, without which no one will see God, looking diligently, lest anyone... Please don't let anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. That root of bitterness, once you allow, and Satan will use that, he will use that to get your bitter, you won't listen, you won't reason anymore, I'm just mad, I'm not going to forgive this person, I'm not going to forgive the church, I'm going to be mad at God. Finally, you don't say that, but it turns out that way, then you're gone. A root of bitterness. That is a powerful tool of Satan the devil. Mr. Armstrong said it's like you're being hooked on heroin. You can't break it once you get into a root of bitterness. Satan can use that very, very powerfully. So don't let that happen to you. I want to give you three keys here to conquering Satan. These are not complicated. Some of you aren't taking notes, but you can remember the essence of it. There are just three. I'm not going to give you 15 or 20. You wouldn't remember them anyway. <clears throat> Number one, as I've given before, know your enemy. Know your enemy. Know that the way he works, how he comes at you. Know that you're in a war, that you've got to win that war. Your whole eternal life depends upon it. And fight to win. Never slack off. Remember, Satan never gives up. Secondly, second key, walk with God and use the spiritual tools that we talk about. Walk with God by using these tools. The tool of Bible study. Study this book. Feed upon it. John 6, verse 57. Feed on Christ. Drink into this book where you think like God thinks. And all of this becomes real to you. Secondly, as you all know, meditate. Meditate on the Bible, brethren. Think about it regularly. Again, the world of the Spirit becomes real to you if you meditate on these things. And one thing I do want to use under this part of, of it here, this facet of thinking about it and meditating with God, turn back to Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3. The Apostle Paul writes, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war. Yes, we're fighting. We've done it war according to the flesh. For we are, our weapons are spiritual, not carnal, but mighty in God for putting down strongholds. Notice verse 5. Casting down arguments, or as the translations have it, reasonings, 
and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You're not to let yourself get into reasonings how well God doesn't understand and this man's too bad and I can never forgive him and blah, blah, blah. Casting down all those arguments that come from Satan the devil. You're in a war. Our warfare is not physical. Our weapons are not physical or carnal, but mighty. They are powerful spiritual weapons. So don't let yourself get in that kind of reasoning against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And remember that last phrase, especially, brethren, as you're fighting the devil. Bring every thought into captivity to Christ. That's something that has helped me. Sometimes my mind will start down a track, and it seems like Satan will start coming at me in certain times, and ideas will come of... uh, some weird thing. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, something I haven't thought about or read about at all, and I'll suddenly be off fighting somebody about something that would never happen or some other bad thing. And I think, how did this come in my mind? And other things will come in my mind, others. And then I pray and ask God, rebuke Satan, Father. Rebuke Satan. Rebuke his demons. Take these thoughts away. Once these thoughts start coming in your mind about strange things you know are wrong, Know you're in a battle. No, Satan may be the one putting them there. And I'm not imagining. I've just, I've studied psychology, took four courses in it, press reading many books. It's nothing I've been reading or thinking about. It just suddenly comes from outside. I know where it comes from. It comes from the devil. The devil will try to put these thoughts in your mind. You think, nope, I'm going to cut this thought off before this whole scenario gets going. I don't want to follow it until I end up killing this person or doing something bad. Bang, stop it. Father in heaven, stop it. Don't let the thought pattern get started the wrong way. Bring every thought into captivity to Christ because you are in war and use the power of God's Spirit to overcome. So meditate on God's Word and be sure every thought is brought into captivity to Christ. Thirdly, prayer. We've already mentioned that. Pray with all your heart. Pray without ceasing. Walk with God. Talk with God in the morning before anything of the devil can get at you. Pray again in the middle of the day sometime. Pray on your knees again at night or in the early evening. Play at least three times on your knees each day if you can. You say, well, I don't have time. Well, Daniel was running the whole Babylonian empire under under Nebuchadnezzar. You really read about it. He had a huge job. He found time. King David was busy. He found time. You could find time too. Pray to God regularly and ask God to help you, strengthen you, help you overcome yourself and the world and Satan the devil in this battle you're in. And then fasting, that powerful tool of fasting. Don't ever forget that. Remember back in Mark now, brethren, and something that you all know, but turn to Mark 9, if you would, at this point. Mark 9, 29. I'll just quote it here to save time. Remember when the disciples could not cast out a demon? They came to Christ and say, why could we not cast it out? Mark 9, verse 29. He said, this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. Fasting is a powerful tool to humble you, to help you realize how much you need God and to get your minds off your own drives and your vanities and yourself. Fast regularly. Use the tool of fasting. If you're able to physically, I mean, some are in a terrible under doctor's orders or something. But if you can, fast regularly and cry out to God and ask Him for the help that you need. Fasting. So use those tools and walk with God and you will overcome. Thirdly, 
The third key to overcoming is to have genuine and really deep humility. Genuine and deep humility in everything you do. Just really build on that. Deep humility. And brethren, when I think about different ones whom I could name big shots in the work, and they left, this man left because he was put in a smaller job and had a beautiful office on the third floor instead of the third, fourth floor. He said, I can't take that. He was just filled with vanity. I could see that even then. I didn't want to tell him that and make him mad. But he had the wrong attitude. Very great capacity, but he had vanity that spelled out in a hundred ways. Not just that. I don't want to go through the whole story. Don't want to identify him. Another very impressive man had a great big John Wayne type voice and big powerful sermons. And he said one time, if Mr. Armstrong tells me to dig a ditch, go out here and dig a ditch through the world of China, he said, I'll start digging that ditch. And then he says, if he tells me an hour later, well, John, his name was not John, cover the ditch back up. I changed my mind. He says, I'll cover it back up. I'll follow that man and do whatever he said. But something happened to the man. Part of his empire was taken away. And then what happened? He turned on Mr. Armstrong, took a whole phase of people in the work away from Mr. Armstrong, away from the truth. He got bitter. His vanity got injured. Vanity, jealousy, lust, and greed. Humble yourself. Realize you need God. God does not need you. He wants you. He loves you. You're made in his image. But you've got to recognize, you've got to come down a notch or two and cry out to God if you want to live forever. Ask God for genuine humility, brethren. That's a key thing. Now let's turn back, if you would, to First uh, Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5, you've been talking about the elders humbly serving the brethren with servant leadership. And then he says in verse 5, First Peter 5, verse 5, Likewise, you younger, and I would say to you people that are younger, and nearly all of you are younger than me. <laughs> I get away with a lot here, but all of you are younger. You younger, especially you people that are just in your teens and 20s, you're very much younger. Have that humility. God wants you to have it for your good, not my good. So he says, you younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. All of us can learn from one another and be clothed. As we say, that ain't easy, but be clothed with humility, trying every way you can to be like Moses, who was the meekest man on the face of the earth, and yet God used him powerfully. He had the fear of God, deep humility, realizing how weak he was. So be humble. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves, verse 6, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. He'll give you power. He'll give you every blessing and joy and glory forever if you learn the lessons he wants you to learn so you can do that job the right way, so you can handle that glory the right way when you get it. Cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. He does care for you. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, yes, we're fighting the devil, brethren, understand it in all of this. Your enemy, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking he may devour. Resist him. You're commanded by God. Resist the devil, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brethren in the world. But may the God of all peace or grace, who called us into his eternal glory, 
And that Greek word is ice, into, not just to, but into it. You're not going to see it. You're going to share in it. He's called us to be part of that very glory by Jesus Christ. When? After. After you have suffered a while. You've got to learn the lessons. You've got to go through the trial. You've got to cry out to God. You've got to want eternal life so bad you can taste it. After you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To Him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, brethren, these are three keys to overcome Satan the devil. And I hope that you are more aware now that I've got your mind on the spirit world there are beings behind these things that are happening in Europe. There are going to be spirit beings behind those who may attack us later. We don't want to hate them. They're human beings. They're all mixed up. Satan is behind it. We are fighting a battle against Satan the devil. Don't give up. As Churchill said, never, never, never give up. You are winners. You can have eternal life. So go out and do your part, and you will be a winner forever.